This week we uh, did something we hadn't done before as a couple. Heather and I uh, went uh, to get our Christmas tree, and we did it a little different. Usually we go to the Christmas tree lot or Costco or Lowe's, or we find a perfect Christmas tree somewhere in the uh, in from our local businesses. But this year we got a U.S. Forest Service permit for ten dollars to hike into the Cascade Mountains and find our perfect Christmas tree. And so we decided to go out last weekend, and uh, we're driving up I-90, up into the mountains, beautiful day out, and wind's picking up. And I'm, we're driving alongside the road, and I'm seeing all these like trees on the side of the highway, like, oh, that would make a great Christmas tree. Oh, that's a perfect Christmas tree right there. And all the way up, we're seeing this, and you're thinking, we're thinking, hey, the forest is filled with perfect Christmas trees, exactly the way God made them. And we had this image of just finding this perfect Christmas tree to go into our house and, and be able to decorate it. And so we get up into the mountains and we get off the main road, off the highway, off the paved road, into the gravel road, the forest, uh, you know, the forest service roads. And those roads become rocky and narrow and rooty. And we went up the mountain as far as we could go where the trail was actually, the road was actually washed out. And so we stopped there because we didn't have a four-wheel drive vehicle, and that's the only thing that was going up the mountain from there. So we stopped, we got out to go walk, we grabbed all our gear, and as we're getting out, there's a father and his daughter who are also getting out of their vehicle, and like, hey, it's a great day to be out here, yeah. And he goes, have you all ever done this before? Is this your first time? He said, yeah, this is our first time doing this. He's like, yeah, set your expectations low. Like, think Charlie Brown Christmas tree. That's what he was saying. He's like, think Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And again, that's a great uh, image that we all have of uh, Charlie Brown embracing, right, this imperfect tree. And I, you know, that's what we had, we had set up, you know, every year we go out and you may do this as well. We all may do this. Uh, you go out and you find the perfect tree and you want it to look perfect and stand perfect and be full. And so we went out with that image in our mind of perfection, right, that expectation, that we went out into the woods with. And so as we hiked and we kept hiking, we'd find like many, many trees. And we thought, oh, there's a tree off in the distance. We get closer and it's really just four trees growing together. And the thing about those trees is that if you pull one out, they're only growing branches out one side. They don't have branches out all the other side. So you, you'd have to find a very narrow corner in your house. And so we're seeing tree after tree after tree, but nothing like our image of the perfect Christmas tree. So finally, we just had to do exactly what we had been told to do, and that is look for a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, and that's what we got. We found one off in the distance. We hiked down a rocky cliff, uh, not cliff, but a rocky slope, got our Christmas tree, hiked it back up the mountain, out the path, and got home and put it in our house, and it's nothing like any tree we've had before. It is a le uh, less than what we would say perfect tree. Yet here's what I would reflect back on that experience. Did we have fun? Absolutely. Were we stressed out? No. I would say this is the least stressful tree buying experience I have ever had in my life. The reason for that is because it wasn't about the finding the perfect Christmas tree. It was about the adventure that we were on and doing together as a couple and just being out in God's creation. You know, here's the thing. God didn't create perfect Christmas trees. That's something that we create as human beings. We're looking, we're striving for that perfection. And yet Christmas, Advent, Jesus, is about something we call in the church the incarnation. The incarnation is that God would become flesh, that Jesus would step down out of heaven, that the perfect 
would embrace the imperfect. Think about that. Are we embracing imperfection? Are we willing to step down, step away from perfection and actually embrace imperfection? That's what Jesus was doing in the incarnation, taking on our flesh, taking on our imperfections, our flaws. Why? Because he loved us. And maybe, just maybe, it's in the stepping down (laughs) that we find joy and blessing. That's where we find ourselves in the story this morning is this idea that blessing and joy are not coming from convenience and perfection and success and prosperity. In fact, we find two women, Elizabeth and Mary, both from poor families, not successful by any means, not prosperous by any means, and yet they are seeing themselves as blessed. Notice this is actually one of the first blessings in the Bible, Luke, in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1 verse 45 says this, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The blessing here is in believing God and God's purpose for Mary. That's where the blessing is found. It's not found in the blessing of wealth or prosperity. It's not found in the blessing of just being a good person. It's found in being chosen by God. It was an honor to Mary for God to choose her out of all the people to trust her with this incarnation, with this stepping down of the Son of God into our humanity. You know, and also part of the blessing is her obedience, her believing. To believe is to be willing to listen to God and to do what God has asked her to do. And that's true for us as too, that the blessing is in us listening to God and being willing to do what God has asked us to do. Uh, Joan Chittister, who wrote a book called Wisdom Distilled from the Daily, talks about listening this way. She calls it obedient listening. She says this, when we are overcome by all the cacophonous commercials and unrelenting demands and spurious advice that our society has to give, obedient listening is what enables us to filter all the messages through the channels that count the good, the true, and the beautiful. What she's saying is that obedient listening actually will help us to see God, right? And see God more clearly. It's not in all the other messages that we're being sent right now about what is the perfect Christmas. In fact, we're in a season of having to shift our expectations all the time. And it's not, maybe we need to let go of some of those expectations of perfection and success and prosperity and everything being the way it's supposed to be or how we think it's supposed to be or our image of perfection. And maybe when we let go and embrace what is reality, embrace the imperfection that sometimes we find joy and blessing. That's what's going on for Mary as well. And so that's also, notice this other thing that's going on here in this text is really happening in the womb of Mary and Elizabeth. There are two in utero people being developed and one child is recognizing the presence of the other child in utero, in their mother's wombs, which is just is awesome to think about, you know, this idea that, that John would recognize the presence of Christ in the womb. There was another story in the Old Testament about two twin, twin brothers named Esau and Jacob. 
And Esau and Jacob were in their mother's womb, and it says that they wrestled. They were wrestling for supremacy. They were wrestling for greatness to be better than the other, right? And it says even when they were born, that Esau was born first, but they found Jacob clutching the heel of Esau, trying to pull him back in the womb so he could get out first. And I think about that. Isn't that so typical of us oftentimes as humans that we're always competing, trying to be better than others, trying to achieve greatness, success, to be perfect or what we think is perfect in our world, that we think of perfection or success, whatever label we want to put on it. But what John is doing, even in the womb, is he's saying, I'm not the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. I'm not the one that you should be following, he says later in life, but follow Jesus, right? He's pointing to Jesus even in utero. And what we see here actually, which is fascinating, is that there are personalities. In fact, the word used that the baby that John leapt for joy is actually could be translated wild joy, which I thought was interesting because if you think about John, John was considered to be kind of a wild man out in the wilderness, you know, calling people to repentance, kind of this radical uh, out there. And even in the womb, we're seeing a little bit of his personality coming out. That's also the reason why many Christians and the Free Methodist Church believe in the sanctity, the sacredness of unborn life, because there are personalities here in the womb, in utero. There is recognition and awareness here. John is aware of Jesus in the presence of Christ, even in his mother's womb. And that's where the joy happens in this passage, right there from John. He's discovering that as he lets go of his need to be in control, as he lets go of his need to be supreme or great or successful or whatever, that he's actually experiencing joy and recognizing the greatness of Jesus, that the perfect would embrace the imperfect. Notice that's also where Mary's prayer goes. Mary's prayer goes to this idea, this concept of humility, right? Of stepping down. You know, in Philippians, it says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Again, the stepping down. And Mary's prayer reflects that. In fact, she reflects a prayer that Hannah prayed at the birth of her son, Samuel. Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2, 3, Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. That God sees our hearts and the humility or lack of humility that exists within them and in our thoughts and in our hearts. That's also where Mary goes in her prayer, which the church has called something called the Magnificat, because the Greek word here, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What she's doing is that her soul is saying, God, you are awesome, you are great. And she is being blessed by the presence of God and working in her life. And so she's magnifying or glorifying, as it says here in the Bible, God. And as she's doing that, what is she magnifying about God? What is it about God or in a characteristic about God that is being magnified? Well, here is this idea that what God is doing in Jesus is bringing about humility, bringing about a humble humility within humanity. Notice in verse 51, she says, you know, she mentions inmost thoughts, right? And there's this pride of our thought life, right? That our pride really exists within our thought life, in our inmost thoughts. And she's saying that this is challenging our, the way we think about ourselves and our own pride. You know, 
what she's saying is that what pride does is instead of magnifying God and saying, God, you're great, we start to magnify ourselves. We start to glorify ourselves. We start to say, hey, look how successful I am. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful my life is, right? And those things are the things where we tend to magnify ourselves rather than point others to God like John did. And again, if you think about this in your life, you think, well, I don't really do that. I don't, you know, we don't typically think about ourselves that way, or we don't at least think that it's okay to think about ourselves that way. Yet I was reflecting even uh, as I post on social media. Like when we post on social media, on, on social media, what are we, who are we magnifying? How often do we magnify God with our posts or do we magnify ourselves or our lives with our posts? And I would to be honest, oftentimes I'm magnifying myself more than I'm magnifying God. And I love when I see people magnifying God's greatness in social media. I think that's a wonderful thing that people do for us to keep pointing us to God's greatness. That's what Mary is doing. And also saying that the presence of Jesus will help us to humble ourselves and see more of God. Again, that's the blessing, right? Blessing comes in the humility. Um, The other thing that John did a great job of as a leader, as a Christian leader, if you look in the scriptures, later in John's life, he's got all these people following him. He's, he's, he's got crowds coming to him and, and people are repenting and he, they're coming to him in the desert. And then Jesus comes and his disciples say to him, like, who should we follow? John, do we stay with you, John, or do we follow Jesus? And John says to his disciples that become Jesus' disciples, he says, I'm not even worthy to t- untie his sandals. What is John doing? He's saying he's minimizing his greatness. He's saying he's humbling himself and he's pointing others to Jesus. He says, follow Jesus, the Lamb of God. There he is. Go follow him. (laughs) The thing about this is what John is doing is John is seeing himself rightly in relationship to Jesus. Today, Probably over the past year or two years, one of the things that has been disheartening for me as a pastor and as a Christian leader is to watch nationally recognized leaders, Christian leaders, people who write books and you and I go to listen to their sermons and listen to them speak at leadership conferences and big church conferences in the years past and other things. And they're known in the, in the media, they're well known nationally and internationally. And we've seen some of these leaders, these Christian leaders fall from grace have moral failure, or just plain old quit, or get, get, give up, or find other things that they're going to move towards. And we see this happening time and time again, and of course the media splashes it up, whatever the latest uh, fall, of whatever, fall from grace is, that last leader, and we could probably think of somebody today, maybe you're thinking about somebody this morning. Think about that person, but here's what I want us to think about in challenging that. Because oftentimes when we see that happen, we think, See, just another reason not to believe in Christianity. See, just another person that hasn't worked out, right? So we tend to discredit the church or discredit Christianity. I don't think that's the issue. Maybe the problem is that what we've done, if we've done just the opposite of what John was doing, is that we've taken Christian leaders and we've put them in the place of Jesus. We've put them on the pedestal. We've taken them and we've elevated and magnified their greatness and their success as a church rather than Jesus. We've misplaced our magnification, our glorification of humans over Jesus. 
something that John didn't do, and this text is reminding us not to do. So every time you see another Christian leader fail or fall, here's what I would encourage you to do. Remind, may it be a reminder to you to put Jesus first, to, book, to glorify Jesus and to magnify Jesus and to put Jesus as the one that you follow, not a human leader. Here's the bottom line for Christian leaders. Everyone's just a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. There are no perfect humans. Everyone is a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And basically what we've done sometimes is we've taken a Charlie Brown Christmas tree and we've put some lights and decorated, decorations on it and we say, look how great they are. <laughs> but they're still just a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Christian leaders are still human beings, imperfect as they are. And our call is to point others to Jesus. And that's the role of a Christian leader. And the role of every Christian today is to be like John, to be joyful <laughs> to leap for joy, to have wild joy about who Jesus is and pointing others to Jesus. The other thing that Mary points out actually here in the text is this idea that there's this lowering and lifting, right? That in our pride, we tend to see differences. But what's happening in the prayer and in God's coming is that we're being equalized. We're all being brought to an equal plane, that we're all equal of God's love and worth and we all have equal worth. And typically in our pride, what we do is we tend to elevate and notice differences in each other. And if you look at the life of Jesus, everywhere he goes, he cuts through all our status symbols. He cuts through all our boundaries. He cuts through all our classism and statuses that we set up. Notice that there's no longer any rich or poor, educated and uneducated, white collar and blue collar. There's no longer any disabled and functional. Everybody's the same. There's a lowering of some people and a rising of others, right? Some are brought lower and humbled and others are exalted. That's part of what's happening in the presence of Jesus. But notice how our pride often gets in the way of this. So, for example, my brother-in-law is deaf. He has a disability. And because he's deaf, he, from the time he was born, has never been able to hear someone correctly pronounce the English language. He's not able to hear it. So he's had to intuitively figure that out, how to speak and articulate English words. And he's done a good job of learning how to do that. But is he perfect? Absolutely not. He's never even heard an English word. Think about that. Think about never ever hearing the English language and then trying to speak it. And that's what he does. And when he speaks the English language because he's deaf, it doesn't sound the same as I'm speaking right now. And so one of the assumptions that people make about my brother-in-law because of his deafness, because he can, it's not because he's deaf, but it's because he, he's unable to articulate the way that w most other people are, is that they think, well, he's stupid or he's dumb. See, notice how often that pride takes us to negative assumptions about another person not seeing the challenge he's overcome or the things that he's done and how successful he's been, been at overcoming that challenge, what they've done if they've seen him as less than. That's what pride does. Pride makes us see others as less than. And we look at the differences in the other and we use it as an excuse to make them less than and see them as less than rather than just acknowledging, I'm not perfect either, right? We, we, put our, we expect other people to be perfect and we neglect to see our own imperfections. That's what pride does. And the other thing that this prayer of Mary points out about the presence of Jesus and what God is doing is it's also challenging the pride of our self-reliance, right? 
Notice that we, especially here in the, in the United States, we pride ourselves on being self-reliant, on not depending on others. And we will do that often. I do that as well. I'm a part of that culture. And notice that what Luke is saying here in Mary's prayer is that he uses a word here for hungry. And it could also mean a hunger for God, not just a hunger for food, although that's certainly a part of this, but also could be a hunger for God and a dependence upon God. Whereas the rich, the wealthy, don't see a need for God. And so again, what's happening is that the hungry are satisfied and the rich go away empty, right? They're missing. What are they missing? Blessing, joy, because they've been all about maybe (laughs) trying to strive for earthly perfection, earthly, and that's what we're talking about, earthly perfection here, rather than embracing (laughs) that we're imperfect people and we need God, right? That's what's going on here. And so Think about that. Are we longing, are you and I, are we longing to prove ourselves or to prove that God is great? What are we always trying to prove? (laughs) And what is that about? And if we reject our need of God, what we're saying to God is that we're, we're minimizing God's greatness, right? When we reject God or don't believe God or push God aside, what we're doing is we're doing exactly the opposite of what Mary is doing and not magnifying God. But when we magnify God, we actually humble ourselves. And that's the transition that's happening. And if you need a reminder of your humility, I came across a great uh, quote from a highly educated, highly intelligent uh, woman in history. Her name was Marilyn von Savant. She was recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records as having the highest IQ in 1985. Her IQ was 228, which is phenomenal. She's listed as one of the most intelligent people in all of human, known human history among the top. And people would often come to her and say, you, you are so smart. You're so intelligent. Like, you're so great, right? And they, she would, they would talk about uh, how smart she was and how intelligent she was. And her response was a great response, and it was a humbling response. And here's her response. She said, remember, we are all biodegradable. I love it. Remember, we are all biodegradable. So whenever you're thinking you're great or other people are thinking you're great, remember, we're all biodegradable. Rich, poor, wherever. We're all biodegradable. And that's a great reminder. And it's a humbling reminder for us. You see, Mary and Elizabeth, John and Jesus are experiencing joy and blessing because of their humility. Notice that. John, Elizabeth, Mary are all experiencing joy and blessing because of that. So here's the point. Maybe the path to blessing and joy is paved with humility. Maybe the way we experience joy and blessing is by seeing ourselves rightly. Humility is not seeing ourselves as uh, is not a lack of self-worth. It's not as uh, as minimizing ourselves and beating ourselves up. That's not humility. Humility is seeing ourselves rightly, seeing ourselves as limited, finite, imperfect people, and letting go of our 
our need for perfection and success and prosperity. And being like Jesus, who was willing to leave perfection, let go of perfection, and embrace our imperfection, right? That's what Jesus did. And Jesus did that because of love. Jesus was God come near to us in our flaws, in our imperfections. Jesus was picking out his own Charlie Brown Christmas tree and saying, you are valuable just the way you are. I love you just the way you are. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what God was saying in Jesus. And that's what God was saying for us to let go of our pride, to humble ourselves, and also see others that way. Could we go look? Can we go today and look at every person we meet and despite their imperfections say, you matter to God. You are loved by God. Can you say that to every person you meet? That's Christmas. That's God come near. We hope you know that today. You may not have the perfect branches. You may not be fully successful. But God loves you just the way you are. Because God made you the way you are. And God wants to help fill in the blanks. Let's pray together.